Welcome to another episode of the Tips for Lawyers podcast. This is episode 34. That means you can get most of the show notes and what I'm talking about and any links or references that I put in today's show at tipsforlawyers.com slash podcast slash 34. I haven't asked in a while, so once again, if you would go over to iTunes if you're getting some value out of these podcasts, if you're learning something or finding them useful, if you get head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and uh, leave a comment. I do read the comments, so I'd be grateful for that. You can find that pretty easily if you just go to tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes. That will redirect you straight to the podcast page where you can leave that review, leave your rating, say something nice and say hello. So I am grateful for those. They do help the show stand out and they help me get a warm fuzzy feeling inside that I'm actually making a difference from time to time. So today uh, the headline has no doubt sparked your interest which is how to be a happy lawyer or something like that. I haven't finalized the headline but that's what it's shaping up to be and that's a pretty big call I admit in a world where lawyers are fundamentally not very happy people a lot of the time. It is I think a worthwhile topic. I have covered a lot of topics around uh, success. I have covered a lot of topics in connection with practical skills in particular, uh, writing, performance reviews, how to network effectively and various other topics like that. But I haven't touched a lot, or at least not for a while, on some of these, I guess, intangible issues. Now, If you follow me on Twitter, uh, and if you don't, you ought to, uh, my handle is at joyouslawyer. Uh, That's joyous, J-O-Y-O-U-S, lawyer, L-A-W-Y-E-R. And I grabbed that a little while ago. In fact, I grabbed that a long time ago um, when I really had no idea what to do with Twitter. I had no idea what I was going to be headed into. I grabbed it well before I started Tips for Lawyers. And I got it because one of the interesting comments that came back to me fairly repeatedly from my colleagues and my friends was that I was one of the only people who'd been in law for a long time that they knew that seemed to genuinely still enjoy their job. And I found that to be an interesting comment, but I received it enough times that uh, it started to stand out a little bit to me. So I grabbed Joyous Lawyer because I wonder what there is. Maybe I can maybe I can do something with this. And today I wanted to offer some strategies. Uh, I think it's worthwhile mentioning at the outset that uh, these are, I guess, as is my want in this podcast, these are fairly practical-minded strategies. And I don't want to underestimate some of the external factors. And in particular here, I guess I'm uh, thinking of things like faith. Uh, my faith, I think, plays a fairly significant role uh, in my personal outlook and posit- positivity and happiness in overall life. And, and that's not something I generally get into a lot on the podcast, but in a podcast on uh, positivity uh, and joy and happiness, which is kind of what this is about, which I know sounds a bit airy-fairy, um, I think it was worthwhile mentioning that. I haven't specifically dealt with that in this podcast because I know uh, that not everyone listening will necessarily agree with me on that topic. Uh, And that is something I'm certainly happy to have a discussion about if anyone wants to. But I think today uh, I will focus on the practical issues, some of the uh, research that's come out about happiness and positivity. Uh, And in particular in lawyers, I think it's an important topic because there is so much talk about uh, depression 
and stress in connection with legal careers that dealing with this topic in some uh, sort of way, in a conscious way, at least in your own practice and in your own approach uh, to legal work is worthwhile. So, I have, I guess, looks like five uh, main areas where I think it's worthwhile us devoting a little bit of time. Uh, as always, I haven't actually scripted this out. As you've probably noticed over time, I don't do that. And even if I did write a script, the chances are pretty good that I wouldn't follow it. So I just have five dot points and I'm going to speak to them uh, a little bit briefly. I'm not going to get into excruciating detail about research because I don't think you need to know about that. And I think the most fundamental level thing that it is worthwhile knowing about in terms of positivity is that positivity and happiness should be something that you decide upon first rather than the outcome of events. So what do I mean by that? I mean for the people out there who are listening to this who are thinking I will be happy when dot 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 or everything will be better if dot 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 and in terms of positivity and happiness that unfortunately never works. Uh, Because there's always another thing to chase after the thing you're currently chasing. So many law students, for example, uh, might feel relief or positivity or happiness once they get a job or a clerkship. And I gave uh, a talk recently to some students in a position where they hadn't achieved that. And a lot of them had really, I think, uh, defined themselves around the concept of getting that clerkship in that big firm. And... When that didn't happen, of course, a lot of them really uh, took that quite hard. They took that as a big uh, personal failure and it created some real ripple effects for a lot of those people. And a lot of them were in a fairly bad place, I think, Um, as robust as they uh, put on the surface. I think a lot of them weren't very uh, rosy in terms of their outlook on life. And I'm not saying that you need to be Uh, laughing in the face of bad things that happen. But I think you can't define yourself around actions, especially those that are external to yourself. So really approaching things from a positive outlook is a conscious decision. Uh, And I've noticed this with my kids, um, that the same thing can have different effects depending on what outlook I choose to bring to it. So if you can find a way each day of starting it and bringing yourself into a positive mindset and taking that through as much of the day as you can, irrespective of the events that occur, that will really create a huge difference in terms of your overall outlook, your overall energy levels, and generally your own decision-making. Now, people who are positive or happy by and large, in fact, have better decision-making faculties. They make better decisions and they make them faster than those who don't. So, if the Uh, quintessential description of the uh, cynical, crusty curmudgeon of a lawyer is one that attracts you, I would just remind you that that lawyer is in fact doing a worse job slower than the positive lawyer is going to be. So, if you rejig your morning routine, and I have done a podcast on morning routine, you might want to consider some of the elements of that or at least playing with some of those to see how you can do it, to bring yourself into a positive mindset or consciously choose to bring a positive mindset, I guess is what I'm saying, to those activities, to those things, uh, but you can have a few helps along the way. So I think that is the first thing to really appreciate is that positivity and happiness is something you decide upon first. They cannot be reactive because as we're about to see in the second issue here, reactivity is dependent upon other people. 
And that moves nicely into the second point I wanted to make, which is you need to have an appreciation of what you can and cannot control. I see a lot of the stress and a lot of the issues that come up for young lawyers and lawyers uh, at any stage of their career really relate to this lack of control, this feeling of futility. And for young lawyers, that can be especially debilitating because they have, of course, gone through an expensive training curriculum and then they get into a law firm and realize they have no uh, real authority in terms of getting anything done. Uh, Their letters need to be signed by other people. They might not even get to write letters yet. They don't actually get to influence client decision making. They don't get to give any sort of persuasive talks to court. They don't really get to do anything that they envisage they might be able to. But at the same time, uh, they are stressed out by that because, uh, in fact, they really want to be doing those things and they don't like the system and they think this should change and that should change. But ultimately, they cannot control those things. And as I said in the first step, I think understanding what you can on can and cannot control comes back to that element of a conscious choice because if your inability to control something because it's outside your sphere of influence is plaguing on your mind then you need to find a way of letting go of those things that you cannot control a classic example that comes up is the speed at which supervising partners might sign off on things that can have a big impact on people And it stresses them out and it makes them annoyed and it makes them cranky and it generally brings everyone down. But it is not something you can control after a certain extent. So an appreciation of what is within your sphere of influence will really make a big difference to your outlook. Because once you understand what your influence currently is, you can start to poke around the edges. So influence what you can and influence it well. Do the job extremely well within the boundaries of what you have and then start trying to find ways of expanding that sphere of influence. And that will put you well on the way. As you expand it, your control increases, your influence increases, and you remain in that place where you are influencing what you can but not getting too concerned with what you cannot. And that can involve things like other people, that can involve the decisions that judges make, that can involve things that your bosses do or policies that your firm puts down, and for that matter, it can involve foolish decision making on the part of your clients. There are some things you can influence up to an extent, but not beyond, and an appreciation of those will take you a long way. The next thing I wanted to mention in terms of overall positivity and happiness is an element of social investment. Uh, and of giving back. Uh, The reality is, despite it's a little bit cliched, I know, but despite that, uh, an element of social investment and giving back really does make a big difference so far as how you feel about your overall life and your overall positivity. It does have an an appreciable impact upon those things. So if you can find a way of finding something that you are genuinely passionate and interested in, why not? Why not give something back? In, in a sense, that's what I do with Tips for Lawyers. Uh, I deliver a huge amount of free content, and I find that personally rewarding at a fundamental level as well. Uh, sure, it can be a lot of work from time to time, but it is rewarding at the same time. So I do uh, consider that part of the giving back process, uh, and it does have an overall impact for me personally. Now, I want to say here too, though, that if you pick something that's not authentic to you, it can easily have the opposite effect because if you're not finding a method of social investment that's genuinely rewarding and interesting for you, then you're not going to be able to actually get the rewards from that. Because if you're doing it as a cynical exercise to put it on your CV or because it looks good on your resume or whatever, then uh, really that's not going to do anything for you other than get you the line item on your CV. And uh, frankly, people can tell pretty easily if you're 
only in it for the reference. So I also wanted to talk about momentum today. Now, momentum is an interesting one. I think a lot of young lawyers feel uh, very quickly that perhaps they've stagnated or they're not entirely sure where they're going in their career because for four or five years, uh, they have had the next step defined for them. So, you know, you had the next subject to do, you had the core curriculum to do, you had to do PLT or some sort of uh, postgraduate study, and then you had to do the requirements for admission as a solicitor or an attorney. And then, of course, you actually got to that and now you're working in a firm or as a counsel or whatever it is that you're doing. And no one is there anymore to define for you what you ought to do next. I'm sure there's policies and progression plans and conversations and mentoring and all that sort of thing. But ultimately, it is now up to you to, in fact, be the cause of your own momentum. And I think a lot of young lawyers uh, sort of end up squandering this opportunity because they come in energetic and they devote themselves to doing work. And that creates a certain amount of momentum, but it only creates so much. And there are any number of other areas in which you can be experiencing growth. And I've talked about constant improvement uh, many times, but at the fundamental level, it is asking that question that I talk about sometimes, which is what's next and maintaining the momentum in a bigger picture sense. It's not a matter of dancing from the urgent task to the next urgent task. It's a matter of figuring out in the big picture sense, where are you headed next and what are the steps required to get you there and ensuring that you are gradually, it doesn't have to be in ultra fast time, but gradually working towards those so that you maintain a sense of momentum and purpose. Because ultimately, keeping the momentum involves knowing what direction you're headed in. Knowing what direction you're headed in involves a conversation with yourself about what you're actually doing there in the first place. So that concept of momentum makes a big difference so far as happiness and positivity generally, because it is the feeling of not moving anywhere forwards anymore that starts to grate on young lawyers around the two to three year mark. Uh, Their energy and their passion will get them through for the first couple of years, but then they start to think, what am I doing here and where am I headed and what's next and how do I get that promotion and all these sorts of things. But if you can step back, take a look at the bigger picture, maintain that momentum, then you will be able to do it. The last thing I think it was worthwhile touching on is for lawyers in particular to take a realistic view of risk and failure. I think you need to accept the likelihood that something you will do will be wrong, something you you will do will be criticized, and that is not necessarily a failure by you personally. So there are times where you will give an advice to a client that they might have good prospects on a particular case and ultimately they might lose. That's if you're in litigation, obviously. There are times where you might send a letter and it might be reacted to badly. There are times where a client will misunderstand your advice and do the wrong thing. And there are times where you will stuff things up. Now, of those, the stuff up is probably the one you're most concerned about. And I know the feeling in the pit of your stomach when you feel like you've done something wrong. But the reality is that every single lawyer has done something wrong during their career, probably dozens of times. So a realistic appreciation of failure and a realistic appreciation of its likelihood are I think worthwhile because it will allow you to properly assess risk and properly deal with stress. Okay, so you are going to do things wrong, but understanding that and appreciating that and understanding also that doesn't make you a failure as a human being also will have a large impact upon things. I think it's also worthwhile referencing back to that uh, first and second points that I made about control, and that is 
that you can't necessarily control all of the elements that are at play in legal practice. It is far too complicated for you to do that. And so failure will occur sometimes irrespective of your best efforts to do something to the contrary. Sometimes you just simply didn't have enough time or enough information or as many documents or the right expert or the right judge or the right client. And sometimes, frankly, you deserved to lose because you were wrong. So I think an understanding of that will take many young lawyers a long way ahead in their career. So let's just recap on those because I think it's worthwhile summarizing them so you can get an overall picture of actually the components that are worthwhile undertaking and considering in your own practice as you try and strive for this actual genuinely positive outlook on legal practice. So you're going to decide first to be positive. It is going to be a daily routine that you get up and you are going to say, how can I be positive and happy and bring a joyous outlook on my life today? You are going to do that first and it is going to stay with you irrespective of what you do, what other people do and the events that occur during the day. Because if you define yourself around those events, then you will be constantly bombarded and your happiness will shed. The next you're going to do is appreciate what you can and cannot control and you're going to exert the best influence you can within your sphere of influence and gradually try and expand it rather than striving to stress and manage about things that you cannot, in fact, manage and stress about. The next thing you're going to do is find some form of social investment, and it really doesn't need to be massive, but it needs to be something, some way in which you can give back, in which you can contribute, in which you can offer some benefit to those who have greater need than you in a particular area. Next, you're going to be looking at momentum. You're going to step back and take a look at the big picture and think about your purpose, why you're there, why you are a lawyer, and you're going to break that down perhaps into actionable goals, and you're going to look at how you can actually daily work towards those goals. And this comes back to the urgent versus important thing. Keep up the momentum. Don't stagnate in your career and your personal growth, and you will find that will help you a great deal. And finally, you're going to take a realistic view of failure and a realistic view of things going wrong because ultimately when you do that the things that do go wrong will not batter you the same way that they will if you don't have a realistic view about them so those are my strategies today Uh, there are of course many more if you're looking for an interesting resource it's one i've recommended on a number of occasions it's called the happiness advantage by sean aker you'll find some of those in there Um, I don't think all of them. He has certainly some more pragmatic strategies as well. And he's also got a number of, I guess, if you're looking for more research on it, it is a a heavily researched book. Um, Thankfully, it doesn't disrupt the prose and it's actually a pretty easy read book, but it is founded in research. And in particular, he did a lot of research on law students at Harvard. So I think it's worthwhile checking that book out. Uh, I will, by the time you listen to this, I'll put a link up uh, if that will help where you can just go straight there. So tipsforlawyers.com slash go, G-O slash happiness advantage will take you to Sean's book on Amazon and you can pick up your copy. Uh, that'll probably be an affiliate link. So uh, don't be surprised. I will get a small, very small <laughs> commission if you uh, do go ahead with that purchase. So that is all I had to say for today. Again, head over to iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. Tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes will take you there. This has been the Tips for Lawyers podcast, episode number 34, and I will see you next time.